So recently we had a fan ask us if AEW lost its edge and after last night's Dynamite, I'm pretty sure if they lost it, they found it. We're going to talk about it all next on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, the show starts off with the AEW World Champion CM Punk with FTR in a six-man tag against Max Caster and the guns of Colton and Austin Guns, the ass boys, whatever you want to call them. Pretty solid match that went through a picture-in-picture. Obviously, Punk and FTR win. But I think the thing people are talking about is what happened afterwards where CM Punk calls out who he, who is his opponent going to be at Forbidden Door. And the man that answers the call is none other than the ace of New Japan, Hiroshi Tanahashi, getting a big pop at the Kia Forum in Los Angeles. I'm excited to see this match. I love Hiroshi Tanahashi. From the matches I've seen with him in New Japan Pro Wrestling, I'm glad both JR and Excalibur also brought in like why this is a big thing, why he's so big in New Japan Pro Wrestling, essentially carrying it on his back for nearly a decade. And obviously one of the more favorite fan of, you know, not just here in the United States, but in Japan as well. So I'm excited to see this match. So you're already going to pally pass everything that happened in the match before the match and jump all the way to Tanahashi making his debut and supposedly going to wrestle CM Punk. You're not going to talk about the fact that Max Caster came out, got the fans all into it. They had the ass boys. There was some scissoring. Uh, CM Punk, <laughs> CM Punk uh, re-upped on the fact that he had quite a few botches at Double or Nothing, botched a couple times in this match. Yep. None of that. FTR being crazy over all of that type of stuff. We're just going to go right to Tanahashi. Why not? That's what okay. people's talk. That's right. what people are talking so. about out of this segment. I, I guess so. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's definitely encouraging to see. I mean, this was the rumor, I think, going into it. I think it was what Dave Meltzer who said that he saw that there was uh, my microphone wants to cooperate. Hopefully I don't get cut off here like MJF last night. But let's see what we do here. All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think that earlier in the week or even the night before Dynamite, I think what Meltzer said that he had seen the lineup. That was the rumored match. Um, yep. So it, it could, should come to no surprise that this was the match that I guess they are going to go with. The one mm -hmm. thing that I do hope they do, and we talk about this all the time on this show, I don't want them to book this as just like some generic dream match. And uh, back against the wall, coming out of Double or Nothing, they obviously had to promote Double or Nothing, build the matches of, for Double or Nothing. Um, but now that Double or Nothing is behind them, they have to play catch up. They have to build these matches. They have to make them meaningful. Um, a guy like Tanahashi and a guy like CM Punk, that shouldn't be all that difficult to do, I don't think. Because as you pointed out, Tanahashi has uh, a very storied career in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's been one of their top guys forever. Um, so who, who knows where they're going to go with this? As long as it's not just, hey, here's a dream match and... You know, I, I for for the majority of the fan base that'll be fine, but for some fans, you need them to need to give them a reason to be invested. Right, and just give them some kind of story as to who Hiroshi Tanahashi is, because yes, a lot of AEW fans know who he is, but just to kind of get more fans to be invested in the match, more fans that will possibly buy the pay per view, know who this guy is. Essentially, if this is going to be the main event of the pay per view, seeing that it's going to be Chicago. Punk is the AEW world champion, so you would think that's the match that's going on last. So if some people aren't invested with half the match, you no know, Tanahashi, you're going to lose some fans, I think, in that regard. So even just like a video package, because they do really good video package, just 
telling everybody who Hiroshi Tanahashi is. It's just a little bit of what they could do. If he's staying in the States throughout, you know, between now and, you know, Forbidden Door, then you can have him at ringside when CM Punk is out. And, you know, maybe they do cut promos because I'm pretty sure he does have a pretty good hold of the English language. I don't know how great, you know, speaking wise it is, but maybe have him cut a, a short little promo with Punk. But, you know, it, it doesn't have to be much. And of course, you can always have him have wrestling matches in AEW just to showcase him in the ring because it doesn't have to be quote unquote sports entertainment to build the match. Just have Punk win matches, have Tanahashi win matches, and that's it. And that's how you build the match. Who's the better of these two? If you got the best of New Japan, the best of AEW going up for the, the title. Yeah, no, no, ex exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see where they go with this over the next couple of weeks going into to Forbidden Door. Um, you know, I, I have no doubt that, you know, CM Punk being as skilled as he is on the mic, he could build this match probably entirely by himself. The other guy that they got there who has a little bit of a, a, a past with Tanahashi is Jericho. So, you know, yep. I don't know if they decide to work that in there, but if they wanted to, a quick little segment with him kind of promoting Tanahashi Moxley and all too. his accomplishments. Yeah, him too. So, um, yeah, I, they'll, they'll be fine. I just, uh, last night was a good way to kind of introduce him. It's just, how are they going to build the match now going forward? Right, and you also got the tease of FTR, you know, bringing back last week's beatdown from the United Empire. So they obviously haven't forgotten that. So it seems like that's going to be another match on the card, FTR versus the United Empire. What titles are up for grabs is still to be determined because United Empire could still win the IWGP Tag Team Championships at Dominion in a couple of weeks. So could be a title for title, could just be for the Ring of Honor titles. Who knows? But, you know, I have to admit something, Ralph. And I know some of our fans might get upset at this, but I did not watch AEW Dynamite Live last night. I instead was watching the New York Rangers beat the living crap out of the Tampa Bay Lightning in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals by a score of six to two. But you texted me during the game and told me about the MJF promo. Like, this is the best promo I've seen. This is so good. And I'm like, all right. So I hit record on the Rangers game. So I don't miss any of that action. I go to my recording of AEW dynamite fast forward past the first match, see the, you know, the interaction with Tanahashi and then get to MJF. And my God, that eight minute promo might've been the best. It's easily the best promo in AEW history. It might even be the best promo in the last 10 years. Is it better than the pipe bomb of 2011? <laughs> and people are even saying it, it was not just a pipe bomb. I've seen people say that was a nuke drop by MJF. He went off on Tony Khan. He went off on the fans. He went off on the, the wrestlers in the locker room. He went off on everybody. He even called Tony Khan a bleeping mark. Yeah. Well, I, I loved it. Yeah, no, it, this this was an amazing, must-see, perhaps star-making moment for MJF, for a guy who, you know, frankly, to his point, maybe he hasn't gotten the credit he deserved, both from fans and maybe management. I mean, we we don't have an in at AEW, so we really don't know what's going on with his contract and if he's actually disgruntled. But, you know, I I kind of do see the common 
um, a thought about uh, MJF and his in-ring ability and that the fact that, you know, he doesn't do the most flashy stuff and maybe sometimes they think that his matches can be a little boring and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, in pro wrestling character, yeah, to, to have the ability to talk, to have a character like he has, to have the ability to go out there and cut a promo like he was able to cut last night, that is such a rare quality in professional wrestling that only a handful of guys are able to do it and get it, you know? And he's one of those guys where it's it's second nature. Like, it doesn't seem forced. It's like he can go out there, you hand the guy a mic, you tell him to cut a promo on, like, a, a random person in the audience, he's going to do it. You tell him to cut a promo on uh, uh, a grilled cheese that he had at the diner before he went to the show, he's going to make you care about that freaking grilled cheese sandwich. So, um, no, last night... Uh, that, that was an epic promo. Um, I think right now by comparison to the pipe bomb, obviously things were different when punk did that. Um, you know, social media wasn't as rampant and you didn't have as much, well, number one, you didn't have, I don't even think Instagram was around then. If it was around, then it didn't have like the ability to share, like it didn't have as many followers. Um, people weren't as entrenched in social media and going onto social media and looking for certain things like that. Like I remember literally when we heard the pipe bomb, Picked up my phone, called my friend. So I was like, hey, check this out. Whatever, right? Um, texting. I don't even know if remember remember if texting was a big thing back then. Texting so, was was starting to be like kind of big in 2011. Yeah. So I think that um, more people right now were certainly kind of in the know or able to access certain information that you wouldn't be able to access then. So when Punk did it, it was a little more shocking, I think. Um, but even last night, going into last night, you really didn't know if this whole thing was a shoot or if it was a work. Now, after last night, I do obviously feel that this is mostly a work. Or at the very least, Tony was like, go ahead, go say whatever you got to say out there and we'll make we'll make this work um, and, and include it in the storyline. And maybe maybe most of that stuff that he said has some type of partial truth to it. I don't know. I just know that it made for good television, for great pro uh, great promo. And probably a promo that we're going to look back on and say that might have been the moment that made him a, a big star. Because after last night, I mean, look, if WWE wasn't paying attention to him then, they're certainly going to be paying attention to him now. Yeah, I, so. I totally agree. And I, I think at this point, like they have to follow up with this. I mean, we already have seen if you follow social media and have gone on AEW's website, they've removed him from the roster page. They've taken his merch down. So there's definitely something there, at least as a follow-up. Now, I think they should start AEW Dynamite next week with Tony Khan just addressing the situation. Lord. Address the elephant in the room and just pull his Vince McMahon, Brett screwed Brett moment. You know, don't go out there like a freaking coke addict and get all defensive. Just go out there and be like, last week, MJF did things that crossed the line in front of our... WB discovery executives that we're trying to impress. He said some things that, you know, we had to censor and take, you know, cut to commercial early and it's not going to be appreciated here. It's not going to be condoned. And because of that, he's whether in depth and definitely suspended or, or fired. Basically you're doing what they did with Sasha Banks and Naomi. Yeah. On yeah. raw. Well, now that could be a shoot and, that's a whole different situation, but there's still parallels to both situations and you just play that along. And you know, the following week MJF buys a ticket to the show. 
and get and, you know and he just finds his way to get into the show, hijacks matches, whatever you got to do because that's how this is going to be compelling. Does it have to be exactly how I say it? No, but you got to find ways to make this holy crap, what's going to happen next? And and what do we always say here? You know, we always talk about finding the next big star, the next big yep. mega star, you know, mm-hmm. the ability to just go out there and just say the right thing or do the right thing that kind of catches on or have like that star defining moment that launches you to uh, new heights in your career. You know, will that be this for MJF? I, I, I think that MJF is going to be a major heel in professional wrestling, whether it's with AEW, WWE or elsewhere for a very, 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 very long time. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of like a no brainer, especially after last night. Um, but again, it just kind of goes to show you like one of the things that was people were saying coming out of double or nothing was, oh my God, 10 power bombs. He's buried. How's he ever? And look, literally, if you're that good, you can go out there and cut a promo like that and catch, get even more momentum. Cause going into last night, I mean, I'll think a lot of people are like, you know, a lot of people were interested in MJF in that situation. But after last night, after being dominated by Wardlow, after not knowing what he was going to say and after that promo, He's definitely turned the the wrestling industry a buzz right now. So he's the talk of the town. Um, and you know, this is going to be the thing. Tony Khan, you're supposedly the booker of the year. Got to play your cards right with this one. Don't fumble it because this could be your next big heel or your next big star. So if you're that, if you are truly the booker of the year two years in a row, you got to manage this out correctly and make sure like you make him feel special. And, and it, it's so. and it's your key to get AEW to that next level, you know, consistently getting a million viewers or plus, maybe getting closer to Raw and not just a demographic, but multiple demographics, total viewership. You know, they're doing great in some of these 10,000 plus arenas. Maybe they consistently book 10,000 seat arenas. Yeah, that's that's what you need to do. You got to get people invested And obviously this is one that people invest. And if you look at the quarter hour ratings, I know, you know, I don't like people talk about ratings, but because I work in television, I could kind of show you this, but Brandon Thurston pointed out the quarter ratings, huge spike when MJF talked. And then when he was done, there was a big drop. Oh yeah. So that, that goes to show you something, whatever he did worked, at least for his segment. Now you got to get people to stay in afterwards, but that we'll see how that goes and the, the business of whatever. But speaking of the next segment, we got a big return in AEW after it's been, let's see, I think November is when he dropped the title to Sammy Guevara. Miro returns to answer Johnny elites challenge. He just signs an open contract and says, I'm going to challenge, you know, wrestle whoever answers it. So, Miro, they cut this backstage promo with him and basically says, my neck is healed and I'm ready to come close to God now, but I'm not coming to be with God. I'm taking God's house, essentially, Mm -hmm. is what he said. I thought it was a really good promo. The crowd popped when his music hit and he obviously beats Johnny Elite very easily uh, with Game Over. Glad to see him back. I think AEW's missed him. I don't know where he goes from here. Does he go back after the TNT championship? Does he, you know, start his push towards the AEW world championship? But I think AEW really missed him and they're glad to have him back. 
Yeah, he's one of those guys that just brings a certain energy, a certain sense of like credibility ever since he did that whole redeemer shti- redeemer stick. So, um mm-hmm. yeah, I I think it's definitely good to see him back and this was three pretty good segments. Like the first hour was kind of like back to back to back to back of just like really good segments, good energy, the crowd was into it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, this this was another uh good segment within that first hour with Miro returning. Right. And I mean, like I said, I just hope they do well with him and whether it's going after the TNT championship or the world championship, I'm excited to see what happens next with him. But next up we have the 10 man tag, the Jurassic express with Matt Hardy. And because Jeff Hardy was injured, Darby Allen replaces him. And on the other side, you have what was supposed to be the undisputed elite. Adam Cole is not in the match. I I think they explained why, but I'm not 100% sure why he wasn't in the match. So replacing Adam Cole is Hikaleo from Bullet Club. And th- I thought this was a very, very good match. There was a scary spot where Hikaleo landed on his head. But other than that, I, I thought everyone shined. I thought for a 10-man tag, it actually was worked pretty well and stayed within the rules. And Rick Knox didn't let things get chaotic. Until the end of the match, it got a little chaotic. But I think what people are talking about out of this is two things. One, the Young Bucks pinning Jungle Boy. So you got a challenger pinning the tag team champions. I'm assuming that's going to what's lead to the next AEW Tag Team Championship, Young Bucks and Jurassic Express. But also Christian Cage kind of showing, you know, a little bit of, I guess, uncomfortability with Matt Hardy. Obviously, they have their history with WWE. But when Matt Hardy goes to console Jungle Boy for losing the match, Christian Cage pushes him away. He does the consoling. They walk away. Matt Hardy's trying to reach out like, no hard feelings, guys, whatever. And Christian's just like, nope, let's go. And Luchasaurus is confused. Jungle Boy's confused. Like, what's going on here? I actually thought this was a well-executed segment for the eventual turn of Christian Cage in the Jurassic Express. Yeah, I think that's only a matter of time before that happens. But uh the the match itself, yeah, I look some of these matches the three man, four man, five man, whatever, however many people are involved in these, they do get a little chaotic. I thought last night's was a lot better uh in terms of getting people to actually try to obey the rules without it like breaking down and getting too crazy. Um and then yeah, I the Bucks, again, are they going to be the ones to challenge for the titles? It's kind of looking like that. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably like to see somebody else, but I mean, what it is what it is, I guess. Right. I mean, there's other tag teams you might want to put in there, but at least the story's there with the Young Bucks. Going back all the way to Revolution, where they challenge for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. So I think what ends up happening is the Bucks beat Jurassic Express. You got the the turn with Christian and then the Bucks and Red Dragon challenge each other for the t- tag team championships. Maybe the Bucks retain and then maybe finally Proud and Powerful will get the AEW tag team championships. I don't know. Time will tell. But next up, we have some women face-to-face action. Athena comes out and, you know, her first promo in AEW since, you know, she debuted at Double or Nothing. Didn't get much in before Jade Cargill cuts her famous catchphrase, Tony cut the shit. (laughs) She comes out with the baddies and Stokely Hathaway, who is now officially her publicist, 
you know, they say a few words, then uh, Chris Statlander and Anna Jay come out. And I think Chris Statlander actually got a good ovation here. So I think, I think, you know, maybe they're starting to, to slowly make the turn of Chris Statlander maybe being the one to dethrone Jade Cargill here. And they need Jade to be Athena to make her a bigger threat because I think right now Jade hasn't really faced anyone with a lot of experience. It's been a lot of, you know, green wrestlers, a lot of people with like maybe two years experience tops. And she's wrestled, you know, 32 matches in her career. And while she is definitely getting better, you could still see she's wrestled only 32 matches in her career. So a match with Athena can really showcase her the way she needs to be showcased so that when Statlander comes in and beats her, it means something. So you think Statlander is going to be the one to beat her? Right now, if I, right now, if I had to make a bet on it, I think that might be the way they're going with this. Yeah, and it's always kind of weird how these things end up happening because you bring Athena in probably assuming like, okay, she's going to be super over the hot whatever, the hot commodity of the division because, you know, she's got a little bit of, uh, her name has a certain reputation coming from WWE, NXT, all that type of stuff. So um, then Chris Statlander gets hot at like the, the wrong time if you're AEW, if you ch if you plan on having Athena be the one to beat her. So um, yeah, it's going to be, again, going to be interesting to see how they kind of circumnavigate that because I, I think Statlander, they definitely didn't anticipate her getting uh, as over as she was able to get. And that was pretty evident based on the match with her uh, her and Ruby Soho. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Jade is, Jade's great. I mean, she plays that character mm -hmm. so well. Um, and the line with yeah, Tony cut the shit every time, it's it gets me, so. Yeah. I mean, she she totally gets it now. And she's only been in the in wrestling for less than two years, I think. And she just totally gets the whole character thing. She's going to get the end ring thing in due time. I mean, she's working with Brian Danielson. So you think she could probably work a decent match in time. And she has had some good matches already. So any of those that have their problems with her in the ring, at least she's not Goldberg in the ring, which I know <laughs> yeah. the parallels were there, but at least she's eventually going to get better than him. I think so. Uh, next, next uh, segment we have is Wardlow taking care of J.D. Drake very easily. And then afterwards, you have the security guards coming out with smart Mark Sterling, who serve him papers against the security due to all the, the beating that Wardlow has done over the last week. In fact, Wardlow even points out when the guy serving him the papers, he's like, this guy obviously doesn't watch the product. Power bombs him, rips up the papers. Now, I've seen some people say, because of what happened early in the night with MJF and this, everything that they just worked on with Wardlow for the last three months is gone. Absolutely gone and completely washed away. Do you agree with that? No, no, definitely not washed away. Now, do I like the way Wardlow was utilized? No. If there's anybody that lost more on Dynamite uh, last night, I think it was Wardlow. I think Wardlow needed to come out. I don't think he needed to have a match. I think he needed to cut a promo. I think he needed to make his presence felt. I, need, I think he needed to address everything he's gone through to kind of get the fans behind him. And then maybe somebody comes out and they get him invested or involved in his first big feud. Now that he is assigned, now that he's officially signed to AEW. Um, 
Because really after last night, what do we take away from it? Okay, he signed an AW. He had a match, which he dominated. So, I mean, okay, that's great. But he's already been doing that. And the first guy that confronts him is Mark Sterling in the security. Like, after everything he went through, after all these months, after the fans getting behind him, after him getting so over so or, uh, organically, for that to be the first thing that that we get, I just I think it is such a missed opportunity. And it was almost like they planned for double or nothing, and they didn't plan for anything after that. Not not like okay, so wh- what are we going to do with him now? What 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 do they do with him? He's assi- he's signed. He's over. He's got a feud with somebody. I just pray they're not going to put him on the back burner till after uh, Forbidden Door. You can't do that. No, I, I don't think that's the case. I actually think this Smart Mark Sterling thing is going to eventually lead to something. Obviously, Smart Mark Sterling being a quote-unquote lawyer, whether that's shoot or work, I'm pretty sure he is outside the ring. But nonetheless, um, I think he's going to represent someone that feuds with Wardlow. That's the only yeah. way this works. You know, is it the best use of Wardlow after double or nothing? Maybe not, but I still look at it as, listen, people just want to see him power bomb people. He goes in there and power bombs JD Drake. He goes in there and power bombs a security guard. Fans still pop for him. It's not like they went in there and booed him or had no reaction to him. They were still cheering the hell out of him. And eventually this is going to lead to, oh my God, I want to see Wardlow power bomb smart Mark Sterling. Now, does this lead to a feud with Tony Nese or, you know, obviously MJF is smart Mark Sterling. You know, they have the connection there. So they do they revisit that in the future with smart Mark Sterling? I, I think I'm going to let this play out. Let's put it that way. I'll let it play out. I'm not going to go. All the momentum's dead. No, let's I don't see, think all the, let's momentum's see how the follow up is right. I, I don't think he lost all his momentum after last night, but I just I. I Definitely don't think that last night was the best way to utilize him coming out of that that match that he had against now now the hottest guy in the company. So That's I don't true. know. Right. But next up we have women's tag team action. Ruby Soho and Tony Storm beat Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. And I think what I think people might be a little surprised about is the fact that Ruby Soho gets the pin here and does so cleanly. No shenanigans in the in the finish. Uh, I did actually like the finish in this match where Britt Baker's going for the lockjaw, but Ruby Soho, you know, wrestling her a couple times recently on Double or Nothing. She knows what she's going to do, so she tries to flip it into a pin. Then they try to flip it back. It goes back and forth. Jamie Hayter tries to tip over Britt Baker for a pin. Ruby Soho still gets out of it and eventually hits Destination Unknown for the one, two, three. And I mean... Good on Ruby Soho. This is a win that she needed. Maybe some people think it's three, four days too late because she should have won against Britt Baker at double or nothing. But maybe this is going to be the start for her push in the women's division because they need to start pushing some other women outside of Jade and outside of Britt. Maybe this is the start for Ruby. Yeah, yeah. They they definitely, I mean, even with Athena coming in, everything that's kind of going on, like you said, with Jade, um, Britt Baker winning the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament. They got to start pushing somebody. They got to get some of those women um, at least at, at at in the conversation. Like they don't have to be at the level of a Britt Baker because, you know, she's clearly at the top 
Jade is clearly at the top just because of their personality, but they got to get some people in that conversation. So getting them some quality wins is a good first step. No, it definitely is. So we'll see how it goes. And actually, if you look at the quarter ratings, they actually did better than some of the other segments on the night. So that's got to be something to look uh, excited about if you're Tony Khan, that the women's matches and the Jay Cargill segment with Athena actually did better than most of the other quarter hours with some of the other bigger names in AEW this week. But we head to the main event. It's Daniel Garcia versus John Moxley. I actually thought this was a fun and entertaining match. Unfortunately, my DVR didn't put, you know, didn't record the whole thing. So I had to check the notes and try to go on YouTube to find the end of this match. Uh, basically, where it got cut off was Jericho was running in on Moxley trying to, you know, interfere and give Daniel Garcia the win. But Eddie Kingston comes in to cut him off, and that's where my DVR cut out. But obviously, not much happened after that as John Moxley hits the paradigm shift into the bulldog choke for the win. And we know that in a previous segment of the night that we're getting blood and guts in Detroit on June 29th. John Moxley will be involved. Eddie Kingston will be involved. Santana and Ortiz will be involved. They didn't say Brian Danielson. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is going to be a part of the storyline too. Is Brian Danielson going to be a part of it? Yes or no. Shocking wasn't on the show last night, but maybe that was in, you know, in disguise or in, in story that was meant to happen that way. Um, Wheeler Yuta might is on his way back now that he's done with the best of the super juniors. So maybe he becomes the fifth man in blood or gut, uh, blood and guts. But I thought this storyline was over with this. I didn't think this was going to extend further past double or nothing. And yet here we are and still debating pro wrestling and sports entertainment, even doing so in the commentary where Regal says something about love and pro wrestling. Jericho responds by saying, no, this is why we love sports entertainment. Yep. Uh, hopefully this, like the blood and guts match is going to be fun regardless, but don't forget the hair versus hair match. Yes. We got the hair versus hair match next week with Jericho and uh, Ortiz. Who do you think looks better bald Ortiz or Jericho? Who looks better? I'm not really looking at either of them like that, but uh, I think <laughs> uh, Jericho could probably afford to shave his head at this point because it's, I'm not in any position to talk, but it's pretty obvious that he's going a little thin up top. So, yeah, I mean, they should really, they should really make things, you know, up the ante and get like a manscaped razor with the uh, spotlight, 400k LED, you know, 20% off with free shipping. Yeah. And we got, we Promo got a lot of SCPB20. We got a lot of merch on this show, just so you know. So, you know, we got, we got T-shirts, hats, mugs, beanies, all that other fun stuff. We got promo codes. If you can't get your hands on an MJF scarf, because apparently that's been pulled from the <laughs> AW website, you could certainly get a razor and have the smoothest balls on the block. So uh, <laughs> by all means, use the promo code and get yourself some uh, some swag there. Yep, of course, that's SCPB20 at Manscaped.com with the uh, performance package and the razor as well. But I thought this show is something that AEW has needed for a while. You know, we like we said, we just did a Q&A. And one of the people asked, has AEW lost their edge? And I think less than like four hours after that went on air, they got it all back. Yeah. Now they just got to keep the momentum going. 
Yeah, well, I, I think one of the big things, and you and I talked about this, was it felt like you know they came out of big out of a big pay per view. It was almost like a, a a night after WrestleMania Raw. This uh, they they pushed the reset button. Um, MJF had his thing. Obviously, we're getting the storylines progressing into Forbidden Door. Um, we're see we saw Miro come back. So even even though they're revisiting some of the storylines that already kind of happened during Double or Nothing. Uh, I think there was enough there to make this like a newsworthy uh, dynamite afterwards. So um, I thought it was good in that sense. Absolutely. And of course, we did review Double or Nothing as well. You can watch that on by clicking the thumbnail on the screen right now. We'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psychobabble.